So Jesus is walking one afternoon, as he often did during his ministry, and he was going from town to town, hillside to hillside, and on this one particular day as he's walking, he's also teaching the people that he's with. He's taking these opportunities. If you're a parent, you get this. Sometimes you just have to take those moments when you get a note from the teacher or you have a flat tire, whatever it may be that comes your way. You have to take those moments to teach the people that are around you, your kids, right? Jesus is taking that opportunity with this crowd of people that seem to be following him. And he's, he's being really smart. He's telling them some stories. These stories are called parables. They're, they're parables, stories that kind of have a parallel meaning that help us to understand the kingdom of God. Particularly these parables that he's teaching them, they're called kingdom parables. So they all started with a sentence like this. The kingdom of God is like, and then he kind of tells them a metaphor to help them understand what the kingdom of God is like. Well, as he's walking along and telling them, these stories, there are those that are following him that all of a sudden start to have a sense of hope because they're understanding the kingdom of God is something that I'm not disqualified from. And they begin in their hearts to connect with the message of God. Now, there are also those in the crowd who begin to get really irritated and begin to think, no, no, this is not what the kingdom of God is like because they've only connected with God in their minds through uh, a sense of understanding and rules and religion and regulation. So you have two crowds of people that are following Jesus and listening to him tell these stories. Those that all of a sudden are attracted by this grace and hope that he's communicating with them. And then also those who think, no, they shouldn't be allowed in the kingdom of God like you're talking about. So, just like we see every four years or so as a political election plays out, when you have two divided groups, one group begins to think, what can I do to make this other person look really bad, right? And so this group that disagrees with Jesus because they think the kingdom of God cannot be that easy, they begin to put together a smear campaign, right? They all get together and think, okay, what, what dirt could we have on this guy? Have you heard anything about him? You know, uh, has he had an affair with somebody in this village or that village? Nothing. There's nothing on this guy. He's legit. He's doing what he says he's doing. He's, he's practicing what he preaches, so, so they keep, you know, thinking, what can we do to get this guy? And they come up with, like I said, what we see every election campaign, they come up with a gotcha question. They think, okay, let's send in our best guy to ask him a question to where if he answers this way, we're going to be able to say, gotcha. You don't understand what the kingdom of God is, is like. And if he answers the other way, we're still going to be able to say, gotcha. You don't understand what the kingdom of God is like. So here they are. We're in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. It's leading us up to where we're going to go today. And they're setting a trap for him. It says in verse 15, The Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. So one of their guys just happens to be an expert attorney, right? An expert in the law. So they think, he's the guy. We're going to send him in there because like any good attorney, he already knows their next move. He knows how they're going to answer. He knows how he's going to trap them. And that's where we pick up in verse 35. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? 
right? They've just been baiting their breath for this. Because, you know, Moses, he got the, the Ten Commandments. So they're asking Jesus to pick one, or maybe it's even some of the other 600 plus commandments that the Jews had to rigorously follow, which these Pharisees tried to follow to the T. So they're asking Jesus, Jesus, which one is the most important? Because whichever one you answer, we've got a comeback. We've got a gotcha. And we're going to say, you are a false teacher and we're going to have you arrested. But then Jesus, he's smarter than they are. He's going to come back uh, with a reply that takes all those 600 plus laws and rolls it down and squishes it into minimizing it Uh, but keeping its importance into one simple statement. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of its demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So then they're stuck. These Pharisees that were trying to trap Jesus, he came back with an answer that they never expected because he answered every commandment and one simple statement that says, if you want to follow God, if you want to know God, you just need to love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was saying to them, as he says to us today, if we're to follow Jesus, it's really not that complicated. It really is pretty simple. It's just about us loving him and loving the people that are around us. So Jesus responds to them. He even throws some questions back at them. And then it tells us in verse 46, after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. In other words, that was the original mic drop right there, right? I mean, they think they're going to get him with this question. And then he answers and he throws some questions back at them. And they're all, they're speechless. They don't have anything left to say to Jesus. Soul activity, the series that we're in, we're talking about how do we really love God with our hearts, our soul, our mind, and our strength. If it's that simple, if Jesus says we can boil it down to that, those things right there, loving God with all that we are, loving others, how do we really live that out if it's that simple? The first thing we talked about is Jesus simply calls us to follow him. Do you have to be perfect to follow him? No. As a matter of fact, everybody that answered the call to follow Jesus that we see in the Bible, they were still sinners. Many of them weren't even believers yet. They didn't know uh, the message to believe in. He just said, come and follow. And they said, okay, I'm going to see what this is about. Jesus calls to you and me to come and follow. And then in the midst of that, as we're following in his footsteps, we learn to love him with all that we are. We learn to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And this is the genius of Jesus. He is calling you and he's calling me to what we truly desire anyway. Because as we follow Jesus, we find true meaning, true purpose. We find what life is really about and what makes life meaningful and what makes it good. So as we follow him, we find all of these things that truly satisfy our lives. So the first thing that Jesus asks us to do in that statement, to love him with all that we are, is he asks us to love him with all of our heart. All right, so we're going to talk about the heart today, and this is kind of a a weird concept to define because uh, it 
it is physical, right? I mean, you've got a heart beating within you, but we understand it's more than that too. I mean, God isn't just saying, I want you to love me with the pump that is inside your chest that's pumping blood through your body, right? It's, it's more than that. He's asking us to love him with all of our heart. And that's concrete, but yet at the same time, it's abstract. I mean, it's been that way since the beginning of time, right? I mean, heart is, is where the feelings are. It's where vision is born, where passion arises. It's from our heart, right? I love you with all of my heart. That implies all the passion, all the feelings that are within me. It's what inspires us. It's physical, but yet it's metaphysical. And as long as we can remember, right, poets have been trying to define what the heart is. Authors have been trying to describe what the heart is. Artists have been painting and sculpting, describing what comes out of their heart and what is within their heart. Songwriters have been writing songs about the heart For all of your lifetime, right? I want you to take a little moment here. Take a deep breath. I want you to think of one song that talks about the heart. Because all of us can think of one throughout our lifetime. And if you need a little help, I can probably help you out. I put together a little medley for you guys. Because as soon as I started thinking of one, I thought of another, thought of another, thought of another. So feel free to play along if you like to help you get on track with us trying to describe what the heart is and what the heart goes through. We got a little something for you. You ready? Lights, camera, action. Sound. There we go. Your cheating heart In the lonely street that right? I mean, that heart can lead us astray. It can feel good. It can break. Something has your heart. Something has had your heart. Something has broken your heart. Something has filled your heart. Something has left your heart empty. As I think about this, uh, the very first thing that comes to my mind is sitting in uh, the Foundations of Marriage class at Texas Tech and uh, beginning of the semester. And here walks this beautiful girl, walking right past me on the row, and I think, 
Man, that is a lovely lady right there. I'd like to get to know her. And as time passed, I got to know her. And this young lady caught my heart and she stole my heart. I know. Look at those kids right there. I know that haircut. You wish I still had it on me. She, she had my heart, and I didn't think my heart could get any more full until we got married, and just a couple of years later, along came Hannah. And that little girl filled my heart to the place where I didn't think my heart could get any more full until a few years later, along came Brooklyn. And again, I didn't think my heart could get any more full than that. And we thought that was it for us, and I, I was good. My heart was so full... But then a few years later, here came this boy, and Jack showed up, and again, my heart was so full. I mean, you parents understand. I mean, there's love, there's a full heart, but that right there, that just changes the game completely, and you understand exactly what I'm saying. I didn't think my heart could get any more full than these three kids, than this lovely wife, until the twins came along. I, I told myself I wasn't going to get emotional, but when I held those two in my hands, if you've been to Torchies, you know what I mean. That will change your life right there, those two tacos. Tacos can fill your heart too, right? I mean, maybe it's heartburn, but still. Something in your life can fill your heart, whether it's the really meaningful things or just those things that you think, man, I can't wait to go and have lunch now after the service because I'm not going to hear another word. Pastor Adam says I'm thinking about tacos, you know, whatever it is, your heart is at the center of who you are. And the Bible has understood that. The Bible describes that. Society describes that even outside of the Bible. The heart is the visual, the metaphor, the picture for who you are. We're talking about soul, which encompasses your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. But today we're going to focus specifically on the heart, the seat of who we are, our emotions. Like I said earlier, it can love, it can hate, it aches, it rejoices, it longs, it pines, it breaks, it can be full, it can be empty, and you guys know as well as me, your heart can lead you astray, right? You can think back to middle school, and you thought you loved that girl with all of your heart, and you can look back now, right guys, and say, oh, thank God, I didn't know what I was thinking in middle school, right? Your heart can lead you astray because you're having a bad day or you're having a bad week. You're having a bad year. You lost your job. Finances are tight or whatever. Your heart can lead you astray. But like the song said, the heart wants what it wants. And it can be a real conflict for us as we're trying to seek God, as we're trying to live life. But your heart is more than just emotions. It's bigger than just what inspires you or attracts you. It's bigger than what mesmerizes you at the moment. Like I said, the Bible has a lot to say about our hearts. And so usually I like, when I, when I go through a message, I like to teach you guys, take a section of the scripture and look at that story and see what it truly has to say to us. But today I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. Because as I began looking at what the Bible has to say about heart, it is from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible and all throughout. And so like our video a second ago that took a medley of songs, I'm going to take a little bit of a medley of scripture and see what the Bible has to say about our hearts, how God sees it, and how we're supposed to in turn let God 
be in control of our hearts, how we're supposed to be able to give our hearts to God. Because this is a really big deal to God. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment of all. Right? If you want to know who he is and not just be religious like the Pharisees in the crowd, but you want this to be something more than just going to church, you want to be like the others in the crowd who got to experience God's reality and his power, it has to get down to your heart. They say it's 18 inches from your head to your heart, right? It's got to move from just up here in theory and in knowledge to where our hearts can truly experience God. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, The writer of Proverbs is writing literally as a parent who is pleading with his child to understand how important this is. Here's what it says. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. You might have felt that way before if you're a parent with kids. Please listen very closely to what I'm telling you. We even had a conversation with our fifth grader this week just because a fifth grader doesn't understand and see how important it is to choose the right friends, to make right choices, even small choices, right? But as a parent, you see from a different perspective and you say, it may not be a big deal to you, but we see that this is a really big deal. And that's what the writer is saying here. Pay attention. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate into your heart. Bring For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. That last sentence right there. Do we see how important the heart is? Guard your heart. Protect it. Keep it holy. Keep it in God's presence because it determines where your life is going to end up. That's a pretty big deal, right? Your heart determines the course of your life. This is the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Why? Because it's going to determine how your life is and where your life ends up. It's all based upon your heart. In the early 90s, back to the presidential election, sorry for the presidential references today, but in the early presidential, uh, I mean in the 90, in the presidential election in the early 90s, they were going back and forth, right, coming up with their debates and all. And they realized how important the economy was. The Democrats did at that time. So, and they came up with a slogan that's now kind of famous. It's about the economy, stupid, right? Realizing this is the one thing that we need to focus on to win this election. It's all about this. If we're to look at the heart, we could easily say, it's about your heart, stupid, right? Or let's change it to be a little more positive. It's about your heart, genius. And you can determine that as sarcastic or not if you want. But it's about your heart, genius. This is what it's all about. The way your life is going, the way your life is going to go. The amount of God that you will experience in your life, if you will see God move in your life, in your family's life, it's about your heart. We worry so much about doing all the right things and getting it all right and looking just right or whatever it may be. But God says, It's about your heart. Put all the other things aside. They'll come into place later. Just worry about your heart. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what God sees. You know, it's easy for us when we look at each other, uh, you know, we, we see, man, how does Adam's even shirt stay on his biceps, right? He needs to get something specially cut because, you know, he's just chiseled, right? We see people on the outside, 
But God sees us for who we are on the inside. When uh, Samuel, the prophet in the Old Testament, God tells him, I want you to select a king for the nation of Israel. He's looking for that, na- that king for the nation of Israel. And here's the conversation that God and Samuel have. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. When God sees you, that's what he sees. He's not looking at how much money is in your bank account, how successful you are, how good you look, although all of you look great today. He is looking at your heart. That's what God sees when he sees us. Your heart determines your destination. So if God is so interested in my heart, I think the real question that we need to ask ourselves is, how is my heart? Where is my heart? Right? We need to have a little heart check. Psalm chapter 26, verse 2. David says this, Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test the mot- my motives and my heart. David is saying, God, I need a heart check. If I'm going to follow after you, I want you to know how my heart is doing. Come test my motives. And he says again in Psalm chapter 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If we are to love God with all of our heart, if that is our greatest calling, if it determines our destination, it makes sense that we need to say to God, God, come and search my heart. Know where I'm at. Know the things that I struggle with. Know the things that I'm insecure about. Know know the places where, God, I don't trust you. Know the places that I'm fearful. God, come and search my heart. Above everything else, Lord, search my heart. As a matter of fact, let's just take a moment And pray right now and ask God to do that. God, we thank you that you are here with us today. And Lord, we welcome you in this short time we have together. Come and search our hearts, Father, that we may know you with all that we are. So, the good news is uh, we've already got some results of your heart check in. that We're going to be able to share with you guys today. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 tells us this. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your affections determine your devotion that leads to your destination. Your treasure shows us where your heart is. We, uh, when we did a, a, a series on parables a while back, a few months ago, stories, we did a message on this. You can go back on the podcast and listen to it. But Jesus talks about our treasure, and he talks about two guys that find a treasure and then literally go sell everything that they have just so that they can have that treasure. So we have to ask ourselves today, what do we treasure? Is it God? Is it our relationship with God? And if we're honest, a lot of us could say it's not where it should be. I know I don't treasure God the way I should be. I'm not at the place where I would just say, God, I abandon everything so that I can be who you want me to be and do what you want me to do and live the way that you've called me to live. God, I I sell everything so that I can have this treasure. Jesus says, if you want to know where your heart is, look for where your treasure is at. 
I don't know what your treasure is. But I think within your heart, you could probably think of a few things that this is what it's all about for me. This is my treasure right here. Jesus says that is where your heart is at. Another interesting thing that we see on the medical report when we have our heart checked is that interestingly, interestingly enough, our mouth and our heart have a direct connection. Now, we don't think of that physically, right? This one beats and this one talks, but there's not necessarily a direct connection there. But when we're talking about the heart that is at the seat of who we are, Jesus says there is a direct connection. Matthew 12 and 34 says this, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, what's in your heart is what is coming out of your mouth. So you got to ask yourself, what comes out of my mouth when I get cut off on 281? You know, what comes out of my mouth when I'm having a bad day? What comes out of my mouth when I'm having a good day? Jesus says, this is a direct evidence of what is in your heart. How do you speak to others? How do you speak to your family? How do you speak to yourself? Even if it's just in your head, right? What is it that's coming out of your mouth? He even says in Matthew 15, 18, but the words you speak come from your heart. That is what defiles you. From the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. In other words, there can be a whole lot of junk in our hearts, and you can see what's in your heart by what's coming out of your mouth. It is the evidence. It's like a sponge. And you take that sponge and whatever it has been soaking in, when life gets hard and squeezes it, that is what comes out. And so when our lives get difficult, what is in our hearts is going to leak and come out of our mouths. And if we're honest, I think we could all probably say we need a little bit of help. We need a little bit of a pacemaker, a little bit of heart help to help our hearts get to where they need to be so that we can love God with all of our hearts. Because there is a danger. There's a danger here that Jesus warns us about. Just like you may go to the heart doctor at some point, the cardiologist, and he says, we need to have some tests run right away. Or you need to have a procedure done right away. Jesus warns us that there is danger that we can see our hearts can get to a point where we don't even realize that they're sick, but our hearts can get sick. Matthew 15, 8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they're hypocrites. They're saying some of the right things, but it's all fake because their hearts are far from God. And then it gets even worse in Matthew 13, 15. For the hearts of these people... Are hardened. Their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so that their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. A few things that stand out to me in that verse. One, first of all, is that God wants to heal our hearts. He wants to, but we can get our hearts in such a dark place that we don't see what God's doing anymore. We don't hear what He's trying to tell us. We don't feel what He's wanting us to feel. We aren't led. We don't know how to follow Him because we can't even sense where He's going anymore. And there may be some of you that are like that, and I, 
I see it all the time, and I've been there because some of you have been to church, and you've been burned, and it hurts. And you can take that, and you can just let your heart harden. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. Your heart, because of what happened to you in the past with your family or with church, whatever it may be, we kind of put that on God, and we let our hearts harden. And Jesus says there's a danger here. Because you can let your heart get so calcified that you no longer sense how near God is. And you can't even get to the place where you can let God heal your heart and soften it back to the place where he's calling it to be. But there is hope because God wants to heal our hearts. And if you're here today and your heart is wounded just because of life circumstances or things that you have been through, I want you to know That God is near and God longs to heal your heart. He sympathizes with our broken hearts because his heart breaks over us. His heart breaks over our sin. We see in Genesis chapter 6 verse 6. So the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. This tells us that God also has a heart and his heart breaks over us. When our hearts get so hard that we can't feel him anymore. If you've ever had a grown child. We had a great testimony from the Smiths here here today. But if you've ever had a grown child that has walked away from your family, from the Lord. I can't imagine the pain and the sense that that would bring. But as a parent, your heart would break over your child. And God says, my heart breaks over you when you let your heart get hard. God's heart breaks over us as we let our heart harden. God's heart also breaks over us when we are brokenhearted ourselves. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And for a million different reasons today, some of you are coming in here with heartbreak. And I want you to know this. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. God says he is near you when you are brokenhearted. When you feel like you can't take another step. When you feel like you can't go another day. You can't ever face that person or that pain again. God says, I am never more near to you than I am in that moment when your heart is breaking. We also see in Luke that God is near us in our darkest of moments. This particular scripture, a woman's son has died and they go to find Jesus. And when Jesus meets with her, he says, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. I can't imagine a pain more devastating than losing a child. And Jesus's heart broke for this woman and overflowed with compassion. So what I want you to know today, that if your heart is broken or if your heart is hardened because of life circumstances or even just your own choices, there is hope because God can heal our broken hearts. God can soften our hardened hearts. God can give us a new heart. He is the great physician. A man named Charles Siebert wrote a book called A Man After His Own Heart. He shares a scientific yet poetic description of a heart transplant that he got to observe at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Not long after, Siebert attended an annual banquet for uh, transplant recipients. 
as he was deeply moved and profound he was deeply moved uh, by their profound appreciation for life as he got to hear their stories he was just in awe of how much these people appreciated life after they'd received a new heart they spoke in reverent tones about getting a second chance at life realizing they should be dead but they've been given another chance and they humbly acknowledge their responsibility to honor the donor. They understand that somebody else lost their life so that they had a second chance at life. Many of them also went on to talk about the fact that after they got a heart transplant, they had new desires as they now had a new heart. Siebert concluded in his research, uh, and it's backed up by other research uh, of numerous medical studies, that transplant recipients don't just receive a new heart. Along with that new heart, they receive a whole new set of sensory responses, cravings, and even habits in their lives. Siebert calls this group the tribe of the transplanted. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26. I will give you a new heart. I will put in you a new spirit. I will take your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Jeremiah 24.7 says this, I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. And in Psalms chapter 51 verse 10, David is writing after he's just made a tremendous blunder in his life and had an affair with Bathsheba. He goes to God broken hearted and he says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. When we go to God, he has the ability to give us a heart transplant to replace our stony heart, to mend our broken heart, to put that within us. And as he does that, we become the tribe of the transplanted. It's like that group of people that was following Jesus. They weren't just following him with their head. They understood I could be made a new person, that I could never be made on my own, but by the work of your hands, I have hope and I have purpose. We too can be the tribe of the transplanted as we surrender to God and say, God, I want you to have my heart. I want, you to, I want to love you with all of my heart. And with that, as God gives us a new heart, we have a new appreciation for life because we've been given a second chance. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. None of us deserve what we have right now in this moment, but God has given us this opportunity at life. And we humbly acknowledge our responsibility to thank the donor, to say, God, you have given me a new heart. And in that, as we follow him, it can change our sensory responses, our cravings, and even our habits. We can literally feel different because we can know who God is with our hearts. Jesus says our greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. I pray that in this, I would be able to feel what Christ feels. I pray that my heart would break over the things that break God's heart. I pray that that would be us as a church. That as we follow God, we'd feel what He feels. We'd see what He sees, hear what He hears, and our hearts would break over our city around us as God's heart breaks over them. And our last verse here, Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me, 
wholeheartedly, you will find me. So for every one of us today, the first step is just simply saying, God, I will follow. And as we follow him wholeheartedly, he says we will find him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that your heart breaks over us as a parent who longs for their child. Lord, I thank you. It's not because you want to make us into some sort of religious robot, but Father, that you desire for us to be whole and healthy as you designed us and you made us and you created us to be. So Father, I pray that even as we continue uh, on in this week and leave this place, Father, that you would come and search our hearts. Lord, that you would find everything within us that may be unpleasing to you. Lord, everything within us that maybe we just struggle with on our own and the way we look at ourselves or the way we look at others, the things that we fear, the things that we're insecure about, the places where we have doubts. Father, the places where we're too arrogant and full of ourselves. Father, would you come and search every part of our hearts? And Father, today, every one of us need to be a a part of the tribe of the transplanted. Father, those who can say, you have have changed my heart, you've taken my stony heart and replaced it with a soft heart, Father, that loves you. For those of you who are are here today and you would say, I need God to come and replace my heart, I want to pray with you. And maybe you're even here today for the first time and, and you would say, I need to give God my heart. Because that's where it begins. That's what it starts with. If that's you today, I just, I just want you to take a moment and I want you to pray in your own words and just give your heart to God. And then I want to pray for you. God, your word promises us if we look for you wholeheartedly, we will find you. So Lord, today we commit to searching for you wholeheartedly. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for us that we could be made a new creation with a new heart. Father, today we surrender all of our hearts to you. Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Help us to love our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.